Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, and we have a great show today. I tell you that every week, and I always feel the same. It's going to be a great show. This show is going to be a little extra special. We have two great guests today. We have Jeff Wolf, director and writer of Pennant. We also have the great Guy Grundy. We're going to talk to him today about his new project, Six Feet Down Under, a project that I'm very proud to be a part of. It was quite an interesting week. What movies did you see this week? Which shows did you see this week? Please let us know. Send all the information you can. Twitter us. Tweet us at Cinephiles Radio or at Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A, on Twitter. Get right to us. Go to our Facebook page, Cinephiles Radio. I want to hear your favorite shows. I want to hear about your favorite movies. Interesting news today, which was uh, Star Wars is almost done. It's got about, what is that, four weeks left? That's fantastic. I can't wait to see that done. We also saw a bunch of superhero news going around. I think the most interesting news that I saw coming around, and this is old news, by the way, is the Superman movie made by Tim Burton, or going to be made by Tim Burton. And I was watching the parts of the documentary. It's about a two and a half hour, two forty-five minutes, two hours and forty-five minutes of a long cut of this documentary. And they got Tim Burton for the for the documentary as well. It's fantastic. It's a great Kickstarter program that started off this project. Anyways, you can see some of the video on YouTube. You can see some of the Superman suit that that uh, that was going to be used in that film. But I. I would give it a shot. I would I would look at that and see the Superman film that was never made by Tim Burton. It was fantastic. Anyways, enough of me talking. Let's get on our first guest today. Let's get on Jeff Wolf. Mr. Jeff Wolf, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Good. They couldn't wonder if they can do rock and roll music or uh, or the clapping there. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been an interesting awesome. week, but uh, doing good today. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I'm, you know, it was very last minute, but I'm, I'm very, very happy that you're here today. The movie that we want to talk today is about the movie that you wrote and directed, and that's that's Penance. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about your 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 history because you got a gigantic resume. Going from stunts to acting. I mean, you go all over the place. But one of my favorite pieces that you've done was, I know a lot of people say drive. and But for me, it was for House. Because when you punched House in the face, that was that was pretty awesome in cinematic history. <laughs> I love that that's uh, part of cinematic history. But uh, yeah, I guess from, from watching House, that, that didn't really happen a lot that he'd get punched out. Uh, out on the street there, we were, I, I got a call uh, to come in and, and read for for an interesting part for them, and and I uh, was going to play this guy in the bar that House, you know, in his drunken stupor, messes with, mm-hmm. and just had a just a great scene of a fun time. The bartender telling him, I, "I wouldn't do that if I were you," and gets up in his storyline, of course, is his bad knee and everything, and uh, and yeah. takes a swing at me. It just it was it was shot really well. It was a fun little part. He is a great guy, I and mean, he's 
super cool and, and, and fun to work with. I, I'd, I'd actually coordinated quite a few episodes of House um, covering for a good friend of mine, Jim Vickers, uh, here and there. And uh, oh, and this was just a chance to chance to get on screen and, and play a little part. And, and yeah, that was a fun one. Well, your 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 stunt resume, your resume is just off the hook. Going to all the shows that everybody watches, to Punisher Warzone, to Prisoner Break, to NCIS, to Castle, which is one of my favorite shows with Nathan Fillion. I love that show. The Expendables, yeah. stunt double. I mean, you're. I mean, you really just hit the mark in there. Uh, how how did you how, how did you now now in Revolution and, and going on the Stalker and what have you? Uh, how, was that always your drive? was to go into stunt work or, or did you have other aspirations like directing, writing, that kind of thing? And this just fell into place. Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a heck of a ride. I, I actually, when I was a, a kid, crazy long story that I won't get too much into, but I, uh, I was emancipated and, and on my own for quite a while, 16 singing in rock bands and stuff. And before that I had gotten into some trouble with, you know, abused families and stepfathers and crazy stuff. And that led me into uh, probation and martial arts. And um, I had a, a mentor a probation officer in the San Francisco Bay area who, who got me into martial arts and at 14 and, and got me emancipated at 16. I had my own apartment and I, uh, I got a GED and, and, and anyway, that all, this, all to be said goes back to having uh, uh being, being babysat by movies. I was, I was my mom right. when she was single would put me into movie theaters, go work a cocktail waitress job and pick me up at the end of the day. And uh, so I'd watch three movies in a row. And during that time, it was Star Wars. So, um, you know, the whole good versus evil and Star Wars and the whole thing, basically it was like, that's what I, I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, be in, in movies and, and that stuff. So I, I moved to L.A. to be an actor. I went to um, Actors Theater of San Francisco and then got in my car with uh, very little money and packed my bag and, Drove to Los Angeles and slept on a martial arts studio floor in North Hollywood, uh, Taekwondo school, and uh, taught them jujitsu in exchange for learning Taekwondo, which would be more flashy for film. And uh, and that would, uh, you know, basically I had a rice cooker, slept on the floor, and, um, you know, got into <laughs> martial arts movies at that point. Uh, the first one was was Bloodsport 2, and uh, went to Thailand for six weeks and thought, oh, this is easy. This is great. I'm going to an actor look how quick this happened and um did that and right. came back and then ended up getting mentored by sam Hung, who most of the american audiences know is uh from martial law the tv show but he was actually he's actually J jackie chan's brother basically the seven brothers out there and um yeah, you have the sam Hung, I, you have uh, jackie chan you have yung biao and those are the yes. three brothers like lucky stars going all the way down the line i, I i'm a martial artist yeah. myself so you know, Samuel Hung is is a martial art legend as being the elder yeah. brother of Jackie Chan. Uh, quite a large man can work, can move very fast. A lot of people don't realize that he was in Into the Dragon. He was the guy who was kicked down by Bruce Lee in the the first sidekick, right. knocking him down. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Samuel Hung. Samuel. Samuel's. Yeah. Samuel is amazing. It was, what happened was with that was I I heard that Jet Li was doing a movie in Texas, ninety seven. And uh, it was crazy. It was 16, 17 years ago now, but when I first started, and um, and I drove with my manager, then a friend of mine, James Noon, who we we got in his little Honda Civic, didn't have the money to fly, and drove to Dallas, Texas, <clears throat> and auditioned for Samo Hung and Choi Hark, and uh, wow. drove on a Friday, auditioned on Saturday, drove home on a Sunday. Sunday night, they called me and said I got the lead role. 
So I I ended up playing Billy the Kid opposite um, Jet Li in a movie called Once Upon a Time in China and America. And uh, so I went back to Texas, shot that for three months, and um, it was amazing. And you know, working for Samo and you know, Samo's insane. And uh, That's am- came back home, and then and then turned into uh, turned, that turned into going to Hong Kong with Samo doing knockoff with Van Damme. Oh, fantastic! Please tell me about Knock. I love that film. And by the way, I love Once Upon a Time in China and America. You just you just reminded me that you were in that film right now. Yeah. I've seen that film literally yeah. twenty times, and now you just related the two pictures. I'm like, oh my god! I can't believe I'm talking to the guy who was in Once Upon a Time in China and America. That was a great film. So tell me about Knock. Yeah, How was that? Fun. That was that was insane. I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, of course, for the Chinese audience, Billy the Kid had to have blonde hair, so they destroyed my hair, um, burnt it, and it's right. kind of an orange yellow. I, I don't know that it's blonde, but um, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was my first experience with those guys in a big movie. But I mean, working with Jet Li and Yen Yen and all those guys, and you know, getting to do martial arts with them and fight scenes, and it was you know, and then playing Billy the Kid on top of it was you know learning all the horseback and uh, all the gun gun moves. And I got to spin some Colts in that movie and, and do some really fun stuff. That's awesome. These are, these are excellent mentors and people to have in your existence. How, how did you feel when these people were entering your life? Was it one of those uh, insympatico moments where you felt like this was just right for you? <clears throat> I mean, it was crazy. It was, I mean, I had known who Sam Hung was and, you know, to not only work for him, but then to kind of become friends with him and then, turn into the kind of mentor situation that it did. I went to Hong Kong and worked with him for four more months on knockoff and just hung out with the family there and ended up, you know, meeting Jackie and, and uh, going to the restaurant a bunch and hanging out. And there's a wall in Jackie's uh, in, in the restaurant there that has um, all of every signature you can imagine from all the martial arts action hero stars. And uh, one of the big highlights at that time was, sitting there eating with all of them and, and, uh, and Jackie and Samo, you know, asking me to sign the wall was crazy. You know, it's just incredible for this kid. Here, like, no doubt. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Who grew up where I, you know, it's just like one of those things where like, I shouldn't be here right now, but I am. So pretty insane. That is insane. You know, one of the oldest stories I remember from John Glad Van Damme was, was his kind of sad story of his first meeting of Jackie Chan, where he went to his office and really, really wanted to meet him. And Jackie, she was, was just really busy. And kind of blew him off a little bit, and he always kind of held a little bit of little bit of animosity. You can see old interviews with him, but then they got to work together again, and and they loved each other so much. It's very interesting that you went right in there, so you never had that experience of being snubbed or being you know pushed away by this audience. You were welcomed in right away. Yeah, it was pretty incredible actually to be kind of open arms, and you know, just I think obviously. You know, once you're accepted by somebody like Samo, the 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 world is your oyster as far as Hong Kong goes, and uh, and so that was you know a, a great intro, and and like I said, we were we were friends, and Samo came back to L.A. after after knockoff, and he came to uh, direct. He wanted to direct you know some productions out here as well as uh, you know like he had been doing in Hong Kong, um, and the market wasn't as big because he wasn't obviously as known as known like he was in Hong Kong, so. Instead, he ended up getting martial law. Um, he was actually living with me at my house. Right. Um, he and his wife came in and stayed in, stayed at my house in Burbank at the time <clears throat> for a couple wow. of months. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then he got martial law, and so uh, ended up staying staying in town and doing that for a couple of years. And I actually did a few episodes of that show as well. Oh, that's fantastic! Martial Law was a great show. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was fun, a lot of fun. It's good time. That's awesome. You know, and, you know, we can talk about your resume all day long because you're in almost every single show I've ever loved and watched before. Uh, but but the one that that just strikes out to me right now is Alias. Alias is a is a great show, and you're in the the box part one and part two, and that was a that was a great show. How, how was your experience on Alias? Well, it's funny that kind of ties into uh, the once a time in China. A little little known fact on that. I show up, you know, Quentin Tarantino plays my boss in Alias, the box one and two, and um, I played as Russian. I'm, I'm always playing Russian bad guys, and uh, I played a Russian, you know, bad guy driver and all this stuff. And so I, I get on set, <clears throat> and I'm sitting in the van uh, on set with Quentin, and um, and he he looks over and he goes, Jeff Wolf, Jeff Wolf, Once Upon a Time in China and America. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty uh, yes. pretty heavy knowledge there. Like, you know, for for him to know that or whatever. Well, the the funny part of that was <clears throat> he didn't just pull that out, you know, just just blindly. He he actually contacted Samo uh, back in the day because he wanted to he wanted to play a part in that movie. Um, and I think wow. I think the Billy the Kid part was the part that he was actually attempting to play. So what was right. kind of funny was, uh, you know, he's sitting there and there's Quentin Tarantino and he's basically jealous because he's like, I wanted to play that part that you played in this movie. <laughs> so that was uh, that was <clears throat> just kind of funny, you know, where you're like just unexpected. That, that but, uh, but no, Alias was great. That's an insane compliment, right? But if anybody I thought would know that film would be Quentin Tarantino. And uh, yeah. I, I remember looking back at that episode of Alias when you're on it and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this has got to be quite insane being on, on a set with Quentin Tarantino, one of the greatest directors in our modern history, using an accent and uh, and trying to work in with this very famous J.J. Abrams uh, uh, show. Yeah. How, yeah. how surreal was that to look look at this guy? Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was insane. I mean, Quentin, you know, his tops has been, and, and at that point was really in the media and everything else and just the funniest thing that he just wanted to be on alias so just just him being there number one and then number two sitting in his van and having just that surreal experience was it was just funny i mean he's he is a self-proclaimed movie geek and i tell you <laughs> 20 years working in this business he knows more about who's been in what and how things were shot and you know the the, the conversations were crazy that guy is just amazing. I, I love him more than anything in the world, and I can't wait to watch every film he makes. Uh, so let's, let's get straight to your film, because I want to talk about this, and then I want to talk about your future projects. So let's talk about a little bit of Penance. So this is the first movie that you wrote and directed, right? Right, correct, yeah. It's won, yeah, it's won I a lot of awards. Um, <clears throat> right now. Go ahead. Yeah, I... Uh, I what what happened with Penance was I was doing um uh Revolution and uh I I basically got went and had a meeting with JJ Abrams and and uh Eric Kripke and John Favreau and, and all the guys about doing the pilot um a year a couple of years, two and a half years ago now. And uh uh and agreed to do the pilot and did the pilot and on the pilot ended up shooting the the big sword fight scene at the end. I directed um, so I even directed all the action on it. So I did the uh, the big sword fight scene on the staircase with the 20 guys fighting Billy Burke and all that. And um, <clears throat> that was kind of my first foray into directing on that. And that turned into two years of of uh, second unit directing where I was able to direct all the action 
on the show uh, for 42 episodes. And uh, while doing that, at the start of our second season, I, I basically said, hey, you know, I'm I'm really involved with directing the show, obviously, and every director that comes on the show it kind of, you know, can put the two cents in, and, and I had great creative license on the show. Um, and so I, I mentioned to Eric Kripke about directing an episode, and Kripke said he thinks it's a great idea. He's got to obviously let Warner Brothers and other people know and talk to him about it. And you know, first-time directors a little hard to break in, but um, but he sure. agreed with it and supported it. So <clears throat> he got a hold of Warner Brothers and the powers that be and got back to me and said, "Well, here's the concern. It's second season." They're worried that, you know, the second season's got to, you know, kind of break through the year and third season's much easier to get into direct and all that stuff. So I can I can pretty much promise you a uh, third season directing slot. However, um, the one thing they did say was that they know that you can direct and deal with the actors and, and do all the action sequence. But they've never seen you do the tone of the scene. They've never seen you do, you know, dialogue and, and really get actors to act and, you know, get, get across the tone of the scene. So, but he says, you know what, third season will be fine, blah, blah, blah. So I went a couple months and I thought, you know what, what's going to happen is the third season's going to come and uh, and they're going to say, well, yeah, we can do it, but we still really haven't seen you do a ton of the scene or do anything. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to be proactive here and I'm going to shoot something myself so that when that comes up, they've seen something and they know what they're talking about or what they're looking forward to. So right. that being said, um, I started watching some short films because um, I'd never shot a short film before I went to a couple of film festivals and you know the short medium was the same as film which is you want it to be effective you want it to make you think or make you feel um, and so right. you know I, I was trying to think what it was that I could come up with what I could write about and what was in the news at the time was the Catholic Church and all of the molestation allegations and that they were transporting and transferring priests from one church to another consistently to different places. That was like a big thing in the news. This was uh, November of last year, 13. And um, so I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write something around that. Uh, Cause obviously it's a heavy subject. And if they want to see right. the tone of the scene and no action, uh, I'm going to give it to them. So thinking about that. And then also a personal side of that being that, you know, if I, as I said earlier, went through abuse myself as a kid, crazy, you know, biker, drug dealer, stepfathers, and a, a just insane, uh, physically abusive wow. um, childhood. Um, I, you know, I obviously have feelings around it, and I also recognize that, you know, 40 years old now at this time in my life, that those things, they still have an effect. Those things, like, carry on throughout life. They don't just, when the abuse stops, it's not just over. And so that's kind of the, the challenge that I kind of gave myself to show was I wanted to do this movie, Penance, um, and I wrote it in a couple of hours. And it was, you know, ten-page script, um, and it just basically is about this guy who uh, David Lyons plays a guy who comes to him. I'm gonna, I'll, you know, I guess for the sake of the interview, give it all away because the reality is, is you know, you can still watch it and get get what we're where we're, where we're going for. But it's it's important I think, sure. to get the message across. Um, he comes yeah. to he shows he shows up in the beginning at night outside of church and he goes into the church and. He's not doing so good. Kind of looks like a down on his luck guy, and and uh, Stephen Collins plays the priest in it. And uh, and David Lyons goes in and says, I, "I need to talk. I've I've done something, you know, something horrible." And and goes goes into basically that he comes out that he's 
abused these children, that he's molested these children. And uh, so the, the priest is talking, comforting him, the student's talking to him about, you know, um, how things can be forgiven and, and all this, and all these things, and talking about, you know, pulling out scriptures and all this other stuff. And um, about three-quarters of the way through the movie, David starts, uh, he, he keeps denying that, you know, it doesn't just go away, it doesn't go away. And three-quarters of the movie, he pulls out a couple of pictures and shows the priest the kids that this stuff's been done to. And the pictures are 20, 25 years old. So the priest starts looking at the pictures and realizes that these are these are kids that he's abused. And uh, and David's last picture that he brings out is a picture of himself. And, uh, and so at that point, yeah, at that point he pulls a gun out and holds it to Stephen's head, and Stephen drops on his knees and, and uh, you know, says, please, and... You know, and David, and David said, "Watch well, It's just you and me here. You know, obviously a throwback right. to 25 years earlier." And uh, so David drops the gun uh, at the end of it, leaving him on his knees, withholding the pictures in his hands, and walks outside. And, and he's in the last shot. He's outside of the stained glass windows of the church, and you hear a gunshot go off in the church. So the priest who's uh-huh. shoved this down for all these years is basically taken his life and the camera scrolls down to, to David's hand holding his picture and he just drops his childhood picture in the rain and walks off. So that's my, you know, that 11 minute nice. short that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 11 minutes came up with it. You know, yeah. It, it's yeah. And, uh, 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 go ahead, please. Oh no, no. I, I, I was just uh, saying that, that, yeah, the, the funny thing about it is, you know, I, Two two things. One is obviously with Stephen. I thought, wow, having Stephen here, who who did Seventh Heaven for all those years, playing this good guy priest, what a juxtaposed role for him to play, you know, for this a. And David was excited to do it because you know Revolution was great, but it wasn't the kind of character where, you know, where like this kind of character emotionally. I even I find myself during the day when we were shooting apologizing to David. You know, for for having to do such a heavy role or whatever, and he was like, he was like, right. stop, like I, this is, you know, I don't, I get, I get to do this, this is great. Um, <clears throat> but the funny thing is, we shot that in one day too. We shot it in ten hours. We did an eighty-hour work week wow. that week. Got off at eight in the morning Saturday morning, and at two thirty Saturday afternoon, we shot, you know, uh, until basically midnight or whatever um, on uh, on Saturday, yeah. and uh, yeah, that was the whole shoot. You know, the one thing I loved about this project was, you know, I was an altar boy growing up. Uh, I was head altar boy. I, I wanted to be a priest myself. Looking at this film, and, and the short film, and also looking at Pope Francis and all the moves he made to change the Catholic Church, this story is more relevant now than ever. And a lot of people are yeah. not brave enough to write, especially when you want to just make a short film. A lot of people are not brave enough to, to bring these conversations up. Tell me, was this film cathartic for you in your in your experience in your life? Was there a bit of catharsis when you wrote this? I think I think on the level of writing it was. I think you know once I got into directing it, it became about the the, the vision because I saw it in my head and I drew every single storyboard about every shot that I wanted to see in it, um, which which saved us a lot of time because we knew exactly what we wanted to shoot. But I think the cathartic part of the process was probably in the writing because. One of the one of the, the things that I got back from Eric Kripke and from uh, some other people who, who saw it after um, was that the writing and uh, the dialogue that they had was very um, real. It was very how somebody would say these things, and so that's the hardest thing that you can do actually as a writer is to, you know, people end up pontificating and doing all these things, and and they don't write like people actually speak. Um, and I guess that was 
right. because it was so close to home. I think that was the thing that it was just kind of a flow. It's probably why I was able to write it so quickly as well. Hmm. You know, you know, I really love David Lyons. I was really sad to see uh, the cape go away. You know, that was that was one of the big things on Community for a long time. Is the the cape will come back six six, six seasons in a movie. So the cape really yeah. the, the show really started everything for that. So how was how was David Lyons to work with? And and uh, when you brought him in the film, was he? Now you already mentioned that that you talked to him about the role, and you're sorry about him having to play such a heavy character. But he told you that he was fine with that. Tell me, how was how was the experience of working on with a film, and and did he did he really wrap himself in that character? Because from what I've seen, it, it's pretty intense. Oh, I cannot tell you how intense David Lyons was on that night. I mean, I you know had the pleasure of working with him for two years, and he <clears throat> and we're friends, and you know he, he's he is though like one of the most like. He's not really recognized yet for the talent that he has. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, and, and granted, he works. So I mean, you know, to, just to be a working actor is is recognition. Well, I completely agree with you. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the fact that he like, if you actually watch Revolution and some of the the, the things, it's not it's not quote unquote TV acting. I mean, granted, he's been in, in features as well, but he is right. you know a chameleon in the in the way that like. There are certain actors that you watch, and it's that it's that guy every time that he works. David Lyons isn't that guy. David Lyons is whoever you know, whoever the script calls for, and that was the thing we talked for about an hour on the phone the night before we shot around the character. And the day of, there were times where he, you know, he was he was so into the role that he he was, you know, I mean, just he would uh, get irritated, almost like almost. Um, angst at himself for not getting across what he wanted to get across and we do it again and do it again wow. and he just you know i mean he he was when you when you see it and you you just if you just pay attention to his face and it, there's very little things in there that that i think speak volumes if you really watch it like when he's he's coming into the church and his recognition of being in a church and it's probably the first time he's been in one for 25 years uh, as a, as a, as the character, or when he sits down to talk with Stephen, and Stephen, as the priest, reaches out and touches him, trying to comfort him, and there's just a touch on his shoulder that he just has a little recoil from. Um, you know, there's things like that where he just, you know, he brought a lot to it. Tell me, tell me the process of these two guys sitting next to each other. You know, both pretty much experienced actors, really give an intense dialogue about a very touchy subject. How how was the atmosphere? Of of the shooting and and did you have a bit of levity in there that usually people do with with heavy subject movies or did you pretty much just go into to deepness with this one? Yeah, uh, there was really no levity at all. I think I think uh, <laughs> I think what you know the 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 reality of the subject matter and all the stuff. It was like right. the bottom line is you know I paid for everything out of pocket um, you know for the church and the insurance and the you know, the, the lighting and the rain machine, everything you could think of. Um, but everybody else gave their time. So the fact that everybody was there after an 80 hour week and was exhausted from that already, because those revolution weeks were insane. I mean, we did a mini movie every week. Um, you know, the, the bottom line was everybody was there for that purpose. And so it was, you know, it was, uh, it was very uh, uplifting to me. The fact that everybody showed up and did that after five hours of sleep and an 80 hour week. But, um, no, it wasn't, 
I mean, we were all like, it was all a common goal, basically, to sum it up. Right. You know, we were all there for that reason. And uh, and I think there was a lot of respect for the actors in that because it was such a heavy subject matter. And they, when they were in it, they were in it. And so it was like, I think everybody was kind of afraid to get them out of it. Like, just let them do their thing as they were doing amazing and just, you know, just kind of keep right. it. It was very controlled and it was very few people in that church when it was happening. I'm sure it's just fantastic to have two great actors who have experience to just have them sit there and do their job, which is be good actors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing yep. to direct because you can put your two cents in and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and just figure out what, what's working and what's not working. But they're, you know, there's, you know, they, they do, you know, half the battle is over when you have two experienced actors for sure. Right. Now, when you were writing the story, did you have the characters or the actors in mind as you were writing the story, or did they come in later on? So I want to know if you adjust the script based on the people that you were working with, because these are pretty too intense actors that can act. Well, I think that I, I did have them in mind just because they were there with me on Revolution. Um, they were basically first choices, uh, although I didn't know if either of them would be into it and giving their, their time like that and, you know, on a, on a Dave, they should be off from their job. Um, but I think I did when I was writing it, at least have them in mind, you know, in the way of, um, you know, as I said, like David's talent and Stephen's talent. And, and again, the the whole seventh heaven thing with Stephen, where it was like, you know, it would be, I just thought even more shocking to have somebody who played such a good guy really play a bad guy in this, you know? Right. Right. Well, this film is obviously being rewarded and seen by several people who, who believe, you know, belongs in the reward category. So you, you've won, you know, short, best short, best screenplay, best film, best actor, best actor, best narrator short. Uh, you won best actor for the NYLA International Film Festival U.S. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome recognition for a short film. So when those things, awards were coming in, how, what was the feeling like? Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing with this is that when I did it, like I said, I did it to show the studios and those things and already being in that position of, you know, psyching and directing and everything else, it wasn't even kind of on the plate to do film festivals. Um, and it was kind of an afterthought, to be honest. It was like, well, this is done and it turned out pretty well, so we might as well start sending it out and see what it does. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been insane. It's been 25 film festivals, and as you mentioned, all those um, all those awards and the the most recent one I think that's coming out here in the next uh, actually it is Monday night is the award ceremony which I'm, I'm in Atlanta right now in a movie so I can't be there but um, the San Francisco Best Actors uh, Film Festival and uh, won Best Director for that so that's pretty crazy wow. too I mean it's just it's been congratulations uh, it's been yeah it's been a best screenplay I mean you know for my first writing thing I mean it's just you know, there's been some some pretty heavy accolades that have come along with it, and uh, and an overall good support of the film, the understanding that it was, you know, what it was about and, and what it's been for. Sure, sure. Yeah. It, it's really nice to see an audience embrace a film that otherwise might make them feel uncomfortable. That's one of the reasons why certain issues don't get addressed or fixed, is because people don't uh, want to get involved. People don't want to see. People don't want to look. They want to close their eyes. They want to close their ears. Close their mouths. What's great about this film is you hit it straightforward and also it's beautifully shot. A lot of times films that, that tackle subjects that are a taboo or tough to talk about or tough to explain, they usually shove the message down your throat and then shoot it in a way that it's hard to listen to and hard to watch. But this 
This film is not like that. It's beautifully shot, beautifully acted, really fantastic writing. Let me ask you a technical question because I, I just I really love the 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 images that I'm seeing. What kind of camera did you use on this film? Was it was it a Red Epic? Uh, no, it was a, a Alexa. Oh, it's an Alexa. Yeah, Very yeah. Nice. We uh, well, and uh, that was another part of the, the quick, funny, not so funny story for the day. I got off at eight o'clock in the morning and was supposed to have. Um, Basically, two days before we lost our camera package that was going to be given to us, and I got a, a new one that was donated $250,000 cam- in camera package uh, equipment um, from Los Angeles to go to Austin, uh, which was the good part. The bad news was I had to FedEx it there overnight, and um, and oh. that was uh, – and the round trip on that camera package was about $4,000. Um, so that was stressful, and at 9 o'clock in the morning, that Saturday morning, it didn't show up. And at 10 o'clock, wow. it didn't show up. And at 11 o'clock, it didn't show up. This whole time I'm supposed to be sleeping, it's not there. At 1.30, in between taking cat naps, um, I finally got my delivery. And uh, <clears throat> and 21 of 22 pieces were there. Um, so you can imagine, um, I'm looking through, okay, there's the camera body, there's the battery, there's the, you know, all the stuff, and, and uh, realized that the only thing that hadn't made it was a monitor. So we, we ended up ringing and figuring out a very small monitor that I could watch through when we were doing it. Thankfully, it wasn't the camera body or something else missing, but it was quite stressful <laughs> on the day. That does look like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. So it costs you all that money to get there in time, and it doesn't get there on time. But you're but you're able right. to film that day, right? Yeah, we, oh we moved gosh. forward. We took all the pieces and, and got it done, but it was incredibly just insane how stressful that was. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, just just you know, talking to you just for the little bit. I mean, you're an intensely hard worker. I, I can't imagine you not getting things done when things go wrong. As a matter of fact, if anything goes wrong, I'd like to have you on my side. So, <laughs> so the film, right? So, so we got we got penance, and and it's all the money is going towards uh, charity. So, what, what charities is it going towards? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I um <clears throat> I mean obviously there's been some scandal and the stuff in the news and things around Stephen Collins and, and the allegations and uh I've I've I appreciate uh, being able to talk on the show here because I've done a couple of interviews with some people around that stuff and it's funny in mentioning the charity and mentioning what's going on, nobody really likes to report about the positives. They just want to report about whatever negative they can deal with around Stephen and, and the allegations. And, and so I've seen these interviews that I've done that were, where I, I've said, um, you know, somebody's asked me, so have you, have, did you, did you see him, you know, did he seem strange or when he took the role or anything else? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, do you have anything to say about you know, the allegations? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I would say, no, I've known him for a year. He was a good actor, and I thought because of the seventh heaven thing that that this would be great for the for the short. And then when you watch the piece, somebody says something completely different, and then they cut in me saying no, and that's all that they use. Or I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, they they don't want to talk about any of that. I do the twenty minute interview and talk for fifteen minutes about the film and about how uh, proceeds I, I've made the proceeds for selling the film go go to this organization and. They don't mention that whatsoever, and it's like so. So this media right. that cares about this person who has affected the uh, allegedly affected these children and hurt these children thirty years ago, you'd rather talk about um, that possibility um, and 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 build that hype than talk about the reality that 
hey, you know what, by the way, people, if you go on this and you and you watch this movie and you rent it for $2 or you buy it for $8, that 100% of that is going to go to this jamesstorehouse.org foundation that helps these abused kids get placement in foster cares and foster care homes and helps them uh, all the things with all the things that they need for their transfer and 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 for all that stuff and it's like they don't want to focus on that so basically yeah. when this stuff came out you know i uh i i yeah, obviously it hurt the movie in the way that it was pulled from a couple of of uh, of the film festivals it would have been in two more and a couple of other ones uh actually said no we're going to show it because this isn't about the filmmaker and this isn't about his vision of what he did. He made an amazing film and so on and so forth. Right. And you're talking about a person in his, you know, his own situation and these, these allegations on, for an actor that's different than what the film is. So I appreciated those people saying that. Um, but the thing is, is I, I just thought, you know, this has been for festivals. It's been to get it out there to show my writing and my directing and it's done its job for that. At this point, if if it's now going to be in the media and pe- more people will be seeing it than would have seen it, then why not make that right? Uh, you know, turn that into a better purpose. Um, so that's that's where I got a hold of this uh, charity that I've been. My wife and I actually have been involved with before and donated to before. And I thought, why not try to you know skew that to them? So. Basically, it's jamesstorehouse.org, and uh, and what people can do if they're listening and want to watch the movie, they can go to penancemovie.com, and uh, when you go to penancemovie.com, there's a link there that you can watch the video, and you can either read it or buy it, and as I said, I, I don't make a dime from the movie. I spent the money that I made last year making the movie, and I haven't made anything right. back on it. It's not about the financial side of it, um, so 100% is going to, uh, well, okay. to that charity. I'll tell you, Jeff, one of the things that bothered me about this subject matter here, I'll, I'll make it light, is that a person like yourself who works so hard to, to get all these things done, and you get this one thing done, and then something happens, and then the burden of responsibility is being held on your shoulders. And, and I'm not a big fan of that. I'm also not a big fan of yeah. negative journalism. Because it's, it's just just jump, it's just troll journalism. You made this film for a reason. Yeah. It's a beautifully shot film. Listen, if you want to go back to writers going back a thousand years, I mean, there's there's been some very wonky things that have gone on in existence, but we still read their books. And one of the things that struck me very hard when I was young was, I remember I was reading a book, and then somebody said, you know that guy cheated on his wife? The guy who wrote, who wrote this book. I'm like, oh, okay. I would never read a book from this person, ever. <laughs> and I thought to myself... Are you serious? There's got to be a billion people who wrote books that have got quirky lifestyles. Like books and movies and, and art is independent from people's actions and thoughts and what have you, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. And that's why, I wanted to talk, that's why I wanted to talk to you, because you know, you're doing this film, you've done great things in the past, you've got this great thing going on, you've got a feature going on here, you're giving the money to charity, it's very admirable. I wanted to hear your story. I wanted to hear everything about the film. I didn't care two licks about the other thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, it, it's actually come out outside of all the hype. The funny thing is, is that when it comes down to people, people get that. When you know the the, the news and these these hype situations and stuff that they're looking for ratings and viewership and all that stuff. Right. It's uh, you know that's that side of the coin. But what I've seen the positive of this, what I've seen is actually on the on the personal side, on the the people, the the bloggers, the commenters, uh, the people that are commenting on mm-hmm. on different posts and things. I've read a lot of those things, and a lot of people uh, surprisingly have come forward and said, so what? Like, you know, what about this? That 
the guy, what about the guy that's made the film? One, one guy had said, um, you know, I'm sorry, but this isn't a studio blockbuster feature that's, com- that's coming out that's hyping this this actor's um, right. um, presence. This is a, a short right. film that some guy probably sunk everything that he had into to, uh, to, right. to try to get ahead, and this is something that's happening to him. So, you know, I mean, I appreciate that there's that mentality and that understanding that is out there that's actually more prevalent um, you know, on a personal level than it is uh, with the media. And the other funny thing was the one media source um, that I thought would be negative, uh, uh, that, that has the, the vibe of always being negative, is the, is the only source, um, as opposed to the shows that are actually airing on TV at the, the 8 o'clock slots that are talking or the morning slots. Um, it's the only show that actually really? did say something about the storehouse and, and, uh, and the charity and the positive thing. So it's, it's just you never know. You know, you can never tell. Well, what was that show? Uh, TMZ, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You, you know what's really amazing yeah. about TMZ? When they when they start being the moral pulse of America, we've got a little bit. They've done this twice, you know. First towards first really? towards the NFL. I mean, yeah, they went towards the NFL commissioner, and they attacked him. And everybody was saying, "I cannot believe TMZ is actually at the forefront." of of yeah. journalism at the moment because they're the ones pointing out to the commissioner, are you an idiot? This video has been around for a long time. He's saying, I've never seen the video. What do you mean? The video's online. And then TMZ well, released the, the video. So exactly. That's the funny. The funniest thing was TMZ was one of the first people that caught when this happened. And I was like, you know, no comment. I'm going to talk to my agent, my manager, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and then, you know, places like the Today Show and Entertainment Tonight and these, play, these things call me and do, do all these, these interviews and these things. And these are the people that don't mention a word about what's going on. Right. And then when TMZ finally gets the story and the stuff and, and I give them just a little bit about the, the charity thing and that stuff, they write an article and they actually use the word alleged and they do all the things talking about it and they don't hype it or get, get wow. crazy on, on Stephen's end and report it. And then they, they put my statement in there word for word and then at the end of it, on their own, put that he's putting 100% right. of the, the money from the film into jamesstorehouse.org, and I was shocked, uh, pleasantly surprised. So, but you're right when <laughs> when the so so-called tabloid show is 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 actually the moral compass right. of what's going on and doing the right thing. It's pretty surprising. It, it is, uh, you know, and, and I'm very happy to hear that because. You know what TMZ is doing is they're they're focusing on what the problem is and, and they're letting the other people just go away. The way I see it right now is a lot of troll journalism, whereas they yeah. just jump on each other's bandwagon. They, they listen to each other's feed or listen to Reddit or, or 4chan, and then they just jump on on the screen and they just start saying whatever they want. When a matter of fact, there's there's a larger story to the, these entire uh, subject matters. Yeah, I, I, I like that very much. You know, yeah. You know, the the funny thing is, as well, is I made one statement to People magazine. People took that, and, and, and suddenly there were, you know, 40 different interviews available on the Internet, um, just rewording slightly the things that I had said. And, and nobody had actually contacted me or or did any sort of journalism to speak of. They just posted, you know, copied right. and pasted the story from People and put it on the, their site. That was interesting, too. It's just it's my first experience in this side of the media, and it's it's crazy. Yeah, it it is frightening. I mean, it's frightening to know that, that you and I grew up in a time where investor journalism was very, very important, and those people were very well respected. And today, you, you yeah. can hardly find them anymore because these people are just yeah. troll, like I said, tr- troll editors 
They just copy and paste whatever they want. And and by the way, taking out words out of, out of a, a complete sentence, that is totally unethical and amoral. Because you're not telling I the agree. whole story. You're, you're te- what you're doing is you're editing the story. So why don't you just do you know, the, the, the whys of, of Orange County? That's basically what you're doing in, in your news stations these days. Yeah, I mean, they, they literally, the, the, the funniest one, I literally laughed out loud. I, the funniest one was they had a, a, one news program where they had a lady who was a lawyer who says, who, who says if I was investigating this case, you know, as, as an investigator on the case, which, by the way, again, she's a lawyer. She's not an investigator. But if I was an investigator on the case, I would ask the filmmaker if there was any strange reaction from Stephen when he was shooting this movie or when he was reading his lines or something like that. And that was literally where they cut in. My answer was no. And I had nothing. I had I had, didn't have anything to do with this question. I had. I mean, it was an asinine question in the first place. Like, oh, like you would think you would go so deep as to see an actor preparing for a role to say something, and you would think, right. hmm, maybe he was so deep into that. Maybe he has something, you know, invested in that, or maybe there's something going on there. I mean, it's just crazy asinine to me. But for this lady to say that, um, you know, as a lawyer, that if I was an investigator, and for this journal, this this show to cut in and, right. and, and say as if my answer to her question was no, it was ridiculous. Right. Right. Yeah. How, how would you pain, know? Painful. I, I imagine, I imagine you're, you, you hire somebody who's great. You, you get somebody on the set. You're, the only thing you're thinking is, thank God I got this actor. What a great actor. And that's, that's exactly yeah. what you're thinking, right? And then you sit oh, down, you, I mean, he's reading the script, and you're thinking, this is a dream. Yeah, no, I mean, you've got two... Top-notch, recognizable actors who are who are not just known for their celebrity status, but actually are, are actors. And so, I'm thinking when I'm going to show a studio that I can direct something, that I can write and direct something that I, I'm showing, I'm giving them 100. percent They're not going to get. I'm not going to give them a product and say, now if I had the right people, this is about 80 percent of what I can do. I'm watching this and right. thinking, you know, as I'm editing it and putting it together, like this is this is it. This is. I'm gonna when I make movies. This is this is the ten minute version of the movies that I will make. Right, and they'll be great. You know, and when you say the second director, you know, we're talking about forty two episodes. We're not talking about like ten, yeah. two, three. We're talking about forty two episodes. So for somebody to want you to prove that you can direct, that, that you know, that's always part of the Hollywood machine, but. After forty two after forty two shots, I, I would think that you can shoot a damn movie by then. You can shoot the Avengers by then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's part of part of it too. There's that whole pigeonholing thing where they don't want you to get out of your box and, and move on. And you know, and I moved up rather quickly from the stunt acting roles to, you know, fight choreography to stunt coordinating to psyching and directing. And it's just, you know, it's a process. But it, it, like you say, it's it's been 42 episodes of, of uh, a TV movie every week that we, you know, that, that I yeah. shot two or three days an episode of, of the action. And, uh, you know, that's a lot yeah. of, a lot of days. You have to communicate with hundreds of people. You have to look at the script blocking. I and mean, we're talking about major, major work there. And, and also, you know, one of the key reasons why I want to talk to you today is because you're such a hard, hard worker. And I want to see your, all of your accolades being put out there instead of this negative journalism out there, which is just just so silly. Um, I want to yeah. hear more about you and your career and where you're going from here because there's very few people out there that, that work as hard as you do, keep such a positive attitude, and have such great projects on, on the grip. 
Thank you. Yeah, so, I'm. I'm. Uh, I mean, you know, just just moving forward. We're seeing what's next. I'm. I'm. I'm in Atlanta right now. Checking and directing a feature film uh, right now until probably March. And uh, the next thing, the next thing down the pipeline, I wrote, I wrote a script a couple of years ago uh, called Archangel that uh, that I am uh, I'm working with some, some financing right now. We when I re- originally wrote it, it was the idea was you know if I can get a million dollars together, I can shoot this with friends and, and put my first directorial debut out there as far as a feature length film. Um, but it's picked up some momentum and we're working on more in the, the range of the 18 to $20 million range. So we're working on actually getting wow. some real money uh, behind that. And, and if that goes, it, it's looking decent. So if it, if it goes, it could happen as early as summertime next year to, uh, to start shooting. So that's, that's what that's the biggest plate that I'm spinning right now. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us anything about the story of Archangel and where it goes? Yeah, uh yeah, it's basically um you know the idea of behind the film is the Archangel Michael it, we just see in the beginning of the movie just all the atrocities of man from it goes down the pipeline uh, up until present day and and just the stuff that we all as people are so tired of seeing that we shake our heads at all the time and 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 but from the perspective of the archangel michael in, in talking to god in a way about why we don't stop why we don't just start over and all of these things and 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 god's perspective is you know you don't you don't understand because you're not human because you don't you don't feel what they feel and you don't you know you don't you don't have the choices that they have and um and what ends up happening is um he's cast down um and he says, maybe it's time you did understand. And he's cast down and he, he walks, he walks among us, but without being an angel, without being anything superior, without anything else, just as a human being and sees like what it is to live life like we live. So, um, so that's the, the storyline, the A story, the, the B story of the, of the movie is, you know, 2000 years ago, he cast down all these demons into quote unquote hell. Well, um, they're, actually on earth now, uh, unbeknownst to him. And, and they recognize him, this guy who, who cast them out 2000 years ago. So now he's, he's got not only to deal with the human nature of, of things, but also this kind of war on earth that's going on with these, with these demons. And he's kind of impotent, um, in the situation. And, uh, and, you know, so the story is just about that struggle and seeing our struggle and it's an action movie because obviously my background and everything. And, uh, but it's also, it's basically when I, when I tell people about it, it's, it's, uh, it's Rocky meets the crow, you know, it's the heart of Rocky. If you remember in Rocky, there was only like three fights. Yeah. It's really about character. You know, you do remember the movie, the the fights, of course, but you, you, you know, it's about the character and what he, what he was you know going with. It's that gritty, you know, life. And that's kind of the idea of this movie, but it meets the crow with, you know, it's all very dark and it's, it is action intensive and all of that stuff and, and retribution and, oh. and, and redemption kind of thing. So, um, it would, it just would definitely be a fun one. Right there. That's, that's, <laughs> you, you just blew my mind. When you said Rocky and that just really blew my mind. My favorite scene in Rocky is a scene where, where Mick goes up to convince him to use him as a coach. And that whole conversation for that five minutes of where were you, Mick? Where were you? You weren't here. That's a that's a fantastic yeah. scene. The, the, so the imagery of Archangel, because you know, obviously you're coming from a writer's mind, and I loved when you said A and B when you said storylines, because that's that's a true writer right there. Uh, so tell me, in your mind, when you see imagery from this movie, what does it look like in your mind? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very, you know, it, it, I was actually thinking about it could be New Orleans, but I'm actually looking at Berlin um, to shoot because of the cathedral style, um, oh, yeah. the churches and the things there. And just very dark, you know, it, it's our world, but it's slightly otherworldly in the way of it just, I mean, the whole movie is at night. Um, the entire thing is, is very dark. It's very, like I said, the crow. Um, and also everything about the demons and everything else, there's there's certain tricks of the trade that I want to get in there and use, and obviously big action sure. and coming from the, the background of that stuff. Um, but not nothing, not too fantastical, like I said. More, you know, the grit, or the grain, I would say, of, of of Rocky or something like that. That combined with you know all the nights, uh, the night shots and and such. Sure, I'm hearing a little Constantine in here in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's you know the funny thing about it is. Is this this is kind of the the bigger thing as well? It's it's kind of a prime time, you know, just like this thing with penance was um, that the whole there's a lot of biblical things happening. There's a lot of film and television. There's a lot of things about, you know, I I I, I hate to say it, but I, I feel like um, angels and, and demons are are the new um, vampires and zombies. You know what I mean? Like that's right. I, I think that's I agree. turning a corner into that. And I think part of the reason for that, honestly, is that people are looking for something else. And I'm personally, my my opinion on it is, I'm not making a a a movie that comes straight from the Bible or a Christian movie or a Catholic or anything like that. I'm because I believe in God, and and what I believe in personally is that you know that that uh, God or Jesus or is out to. Um, talk to the people who are going through strife and through troubles. The, the people who think they have it and have it all down and figured out are the ones that really don't. Um, and I don't confess to, you know, or assume to have it down myself. But the idea of this movie right. is to, to show the human experience and that that whatever you choose to call um, God is, you know, we have to have a lot of ego to believe that that it's just us, that, that the BL end all right. is us. Um, you know, so right. so... The, the bottom line is, is like there is something greater um, than us, um, but also to not live in that guilt or judgment of of our our actor acts or our actions, but to but to make a conscious decisions to change. You know, when you see something that's negative in your life or something that needs to be removed, then you have the power and the capability to remove it and to, to actually take action. You know, to to move forward right. and do it. And and I guess that's what Michael needs to see in the movie is that is that not only is that a challenge to do, but that it's that we're capable of doing it. From from Penance to Archangel, it, it seems like you have a very clear vision of what you want to say to people from, you know, the freedom and, and the ability to see religion, the freedom and ability to see spirituality, as well as forgiveness and penance. But tell me, is this is this a theme that you, that you hold dear to your heart, or is this something you want to start off your directorial career with? Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a theme. I think that you, you know, I think that we should use the gifts that we were given, um, and I think that right. my experience um, with the crazy stepfathers and the emancipation and the child abuse and the, you know, the, the living on the streets and the, you know, being emancipated of the GED and all of that crazy stuff, um, moving into, you know, I got an Emmy two years ago, and and I've been, you know, worked with Sam Hong and Jackie wow. Chan and Jet Li and done you know right. you know 20 years in the film business when i look at that history i think i didn't do that myself you know i didn't i there right. there's there's 
there's a path that I've, you know, been led down and I believe that I've been protected in some ways and I believe that I've been strengthened in others. And so in the reality, it's just that I, this is not of me. This is of something bigger than me. So if I don't, if I don't kind of have the balls to, to stand up and say that or do something about that or show that, then what, what's the point of all of it? And I think the, the main thing as well is, you know, that kid that, that was sitting in the movie theater when, when his mom was, cocktail waitressing and trying to support and trying to provide for for us a single mother um saw star wars and saw the hero's journey and the dark and the light and 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 uh that affected me and i think that you know the media television and film has a responsibility to to do something to show something to, to make you think and feel and i guess that was the the idea that's the idea behind the through line of what i want to do as a as a director and a writer Right. Fantastic. Uh, all these stories are great. So Archangel, are you writing it now or is it, is it finished or is it in the process? No, it's, it's, it's finished. Um, it's finished and we're uh, just dealing with uh, some different production companies trying to, uh, trying to basically get it financed at this point. I have, I have uh, an amazing VP uh, lined up for it. I have obviously to direct it. I have a visual effects company that's done everything from pirates to the Green Lantern. You know all kinds of uh, movies that they've they've done that are friends of mine. Like I have a lot of things lined up through 20 years of the relationships and experiences that uh, that once I get the right uh, the right people on on board with the financing, uh, we will we will move forward and get rolling on. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. So tell us. Penance, how can we how can we watch Penance? Where can we find it? Um please tell us all, all the avenues we can get to this film. We want to watch it. Yeah, um great. Uh, the again penancemovie.com is the easiest place to watch it. Uh penancemovie.com. That's uh um you can click on that. It'll show the film festivals it's been in. It'll show, you know, the the the, uh, the about the awards, all the stuff, but the very first page has a has a link that'll send you uh, right to uh, Vimeo, um, which is uh, Vimeo backslash on the and backslash penance, and uh, like I said, it's the rental is one ninety nine, the purchase is seven ninety nine. Um, that's the, the easiest way to see it. It will be playing at a couple more festivals. Um, it's playing in Toronto. It's playing um, played this weekend. Actually, played last night actually. Which was interesting as well. It played at uh, the the LA uh, an LA festival last night, and they called me yesterday, and they were one of the festivals that was kind of on the fence. And I spoke with them, and, and um, they decided to play it, and they uh, they did. And, and a friend of mine went because I'm not in town, and he said that they actually gave it a standing ovation uh, after the show. So I was wow. surprised and happy to hear that you know through all the the negativity and the craziness, uh, you know, around it, that the, that the message at least is still getting across. So that was, that's, was pretty cool to hear. Well, I was really happy. A couple of days ago, I got an email from Sean Paul Piccinino about, uh, about the film and about the situation, what have you, and, and the link to Vimeo. And it was linked literally to hundreds, hundreds of people. So I sent it out as well. So I, I really liked that as well. Vimeo is actually a really great place for the film, a really great place to watch it as well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and by the way, if I could give a shout out to Sean Piccinino, who's been uh, a liaison and uh, uh, has been dealing with all of the technical aspects because he's brilliant in a lot of areas, and that's one of them. Um, that he he's actually helped a lot um, on the on the uh, the film, and 
getting stuff done and, and the things that I have no idea how to do. So he's, <laughs> I mean, all the fun sheets and the things that you see, like he's, he's a genius, uh, as well as, you know, actor and director in his own right. Like he's, he's pretty, pretty amazing. So kudos to Sean. It was really nice to see you actors and directors caring about each other's careers. I, I really enjoyed yeah. watching that. And I, I wanted to participate in that as well. Now, we can find you many, many different ways. Please tell us oh, what are the, all the avenues before we bring on Guy Grundy. Well, what are what are all the avenues of finding the great Jeff Wolf? By the way, Jeff Wolf <laughs> spells with an E at the end, guys. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know about the great Jeff Wolf, but you can find Jeff Wolf at uh, let's see, I'm at Stunt Wolf S T U N T W O L F E on Twitter at Stunt Wolf. Um, I'm obviously on, on Facebook under Jeff Wolf. Um, I, I have uh, the official JeffWolf.com um, is uh, is the website, and PenanceMovie.com uh, connects with that as well. And uh, and that's about it. Wow, fantastic! Now, now, are you going to be starting a Kickstarter program for the Archangel film? You know, I, I looked at doing that a, a bit ago when I was going to do kind of a, a rather inexpensive version of it, um, and it kind of remains to be seen. If we get if we get into the the large finance version of it, then no, I probably won't do that. Um, but it depends on the course that it takes. If it if it turns into um, you know, kind of paring it down and getting it to a place where I can just do it uh, myself and through friends in Los Angeles and, and that kind of thing. Then, uh, then that is a possibility. But for now, no. Right. Okay. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate. it. I've been trying to get you on the show for for quite a while. You're you're so busy doing so many yeah, things. I'm, and when you watch, <laughs> sorry, I mean, call me sorry, Atlanta for Christ's sake, right? Yeah, I know it has been it has been a bit crazy, but thank you very much, Steve. It's been a it's a pleasure, and thanks for you know, uh, yeah, just just being an open forum to actually talk about the reality of what's going on as as, a, as opposed to some of the things that we've been experiencing lately. It's a pleasure to pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. And you, like I said, I, I I hate that negative journalism. I think you're a great guy. I I love your acting. I, I love what you do, and from what what Sean explains to me, you're a great person as well. And from talking to you, I can feel that as well. Good luck on your career. I can't wait to see all your products being done. And if there's anything else we can do for you, we can do it. And we would love to have you on the show in the, in the future as well. Please let us know how Penance is doing. We're going to keep our eyes on that. Perfect. Will do, Steve. Thank you very much. Great talking to you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Have a great right. weekend. Thanks. Take care. All right, boys and girls. We're going to take a short little break here. We're going to listen to a little bit of reggae, and then we're going to bring on the great guy, Grundy. Jeff Wolf, what a great guy. I know he, he took away that great there for a second there, but he is a great guy. A movie right there really to follow, really to watch on Vimeo. Sean helped him put that on there. Give the movie a chance. Here we go, taking a short break.
I hope you're enjoying this episode. We just had the great Jeff Wolf on there. W-O-L-F-E. Movie is Penance. It's won a lot of awards. Written and directed by Jeff Wolf, starring Stephen Collins, David Lyons. Check it out. Check it out. Now, let's welcome the fantastic, the always great Guy Grundy. Hello, Mr. Guy Grundy. How are you doing, sir? G'day, Steve. How are you, mate? Fantastic. Now, I want to talk to you today about your, your new project, Six Feet Down Under, but, but let's start at the beginning here, because you got an amazing story. You're two-time Mr. Australia, and we keep on seeing pictures of you as, as, a, as a little 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 bout, a little thin guy. Tell me, how did that whole, how did that whole thing begin? Was there a, a major inspiration for you to go into body sculpting? Um, I think there was there were two, uh, three, 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 three points that'll bring that up for me. Is that first and foremost, it was just an insecurity issue. I um, I had abandonment issues when I was a kid. Uh, my mum, my father left, and my mum probably I wish she had have left rather than took care of me. I had a you know a very challenging upbringing, and I you know I was very small for my age. You know I was very insecure. I couldn't read or write till I was thirteen. I suffered from severe acne, so I had I had a lot of confidence issues, and then you know being kicked out of home at 16 definitely didn't help that, but I just, I hated being skinny. I hated being picked on. It um, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. It just made me feel less than a person. And ever since um, my mother told me that my father was a a boxer without me even meeting him. So that just, you know, just what this father image was. My dad was a very, he was a tough man and he could fight and he had muscles. So I knew there was going to come a time when I would get to meet my father and I wanted to be proud of the son that he met. So without even knowing it, he had a he had a positive influence on me. And then the two things that let me know that, that, could, that those muscles could be turned into something was when I seen Rocky at a drive-in when my parents snuck my, uh, my not my mum, but my, my second mum and my father snuck me into the movies in the, the trunk of a car and I watched Rocky and then, I was wagging school one of many days when I didn't go, and I was going through George Street, Sydney, and I seen the, the, the poster for the uh, movie Arnold. And this is around my age of ten, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's what I'm going to be when I grow up." Was all those muscles and all that look? You can actually do something with it, and that's when I said, "I'm going to be an actor." And it pretty much started with me. Oh, I always knew it, but it was solidified at about ten years of age. Wow, that's fantastic. And what were the first movies that you watched? Because you were born in Australia. So the, the thematic, thematic theaters are going to be a little different because I travel the world. So the movies are about six months to eight months behind. What were the, what were the major movies in your life that, that inspired you to be that great, the great actor we know today and we know in the future? Um, as I said, probably just to realize... Um... Rocky probably had the biggest influence on me because it was, I didn't even think it was a real uh, movie, to be honest, when I first saw it. I, you know, I thought it was a real thing. And I think that just taught me that you never give up. You always keep fighting. And it had a big impression on me because, you know, I went on to become a fighter. I, um, I was an enforcer. I was a collector, which uh, Rocky's character did. You know, I got involved on the wrong side of the roads and, I guess he did that. So I think in some ways from that movie, Rocky, I, I wanted to experience being a bad man, being experienced, having people being fearful of me. 
when they see me, and that probably just went back to being, you know, so insignificant as a child. That was a way for me to get my power back, so to speak, which is the the term. And then I think also seeing the Terminator, and people would say when I would fight, when I would train, whenever I do anything, I, I would always keep going. I'd never give up. And I always remember that scene in the Terminator when the hand just kept going. It wouldn't stop. And whenever right. I'd get tired in a fight, whenever I got fired in life, whenever I wanted to give up, I'd always think, I said, you can't give up. So I think those two movies, going by your question, really had a huge impact on me. And one thing that I could be muscles and do something, but there's also a, a bigger thing is, you know, just showing strength of character and always persevering and never giving up because life is all about challenges and, no matter who you are, we've all got challenges and we have to rise to, to the occasion each and every time. You see, that, that's what I've always loved about you, is you, you always have such an extremely positive attitude, even though when you listen to the stories, they, they do have a lot... People, you cannot not have compassion when you listen to your stories. Uh, and then, then you see your life and you see who you are, and it's just incredible to see all the things you've been through and where you are today. It's really amazing. Do you do you see that as, as you work today that you're so completely different than you were when you were younger? Yeah, I'm pretty much now the man that I wanted to be. I'm, you know, I'm confident in myself. I don't seek approval from anyone else, and I think it's like, uh, and you can relate to this with being, you know, a, a master of karate in your field. Uh, basically, I was just searching for something, and then to, to the point where you're like, you know what? I am a tough guy, I am strong, and then doing interviews and people telling me about your achievement, uh, my achievements, I'm like, you know what, I guess I have I have achieved a lot, I have done well, but at the same time, it's just the life that I've lived. I've had a huge amount of challenges from, as I said, I couldn't read or write, I was living on the street at 16, I suffered from malnutrition, I had horrendous acne for five years, and you know, people, I do right. covers of magazines and, you know, I was a bodybuilding champion and doing the acting thing. You know, there was a, a five-year period where I would not look in my in the mirror with the lights on at my face because I was so ashamed really? of how my skin looked. And that was, and I, there was, I remember New Year's Eve when I was about 14, everyone else was out partying. I, I remember going under a tree and crying and just saying, God, please, why? What, why am I going through this? This is this is this is not fair. And then you know I get kicked out. I'm living on the street. I've got I can't look at people in the face. So I went through um, all those things, and I went through acne, and I went on Roaccutane, which at the time was an experimental drug, and I had to actually use right. that twice. And no one has to use that twice. And I had to use it at the highest dosage, out of home, and all the stress. I uh, suffered from psoriasis, which is a, a terrible skin condition because I do have sensitive skin and living in the street, dealing with all this and um, and also not knowing how to read or write till I was 13. So I did have a lot of struggles and a lot of challenges, but at the same time, I never knew they were struggles or challenges because I never knew any better. That was the life that I knew. And as I've become a father, as I've done things and I've met other people, I'm like, wow, you know what? Some people got a tough opponent in life and I got an extremely tough opponent and you know, I'm right. I'm upset at some of the beatings that life's given me because life has really beaten me down a lot. But, you know, you've got to be positive because, you know, long story short, Steve, I travelled halfway around the world from Australia without an education, without without any money, with a dream. And, you know, you, you best believe I didn't travel halfway around the world to work at Starbucks. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you're a great... I mean, you, your daughter, Jessie, I, I always see a picture of you with your daughter spending so much time with her, which is very uncommon for 
uh, people who have a lot of ambition in the media industry, they, they, they have a tendency to skip one or put more, uh, I don't know, uh, importance into one area over the other. And, and it's so, yes. I find such joy in seeing you choose your daughter and still having the career you desire at the same time. I do find a lot of joy in that. Thanks, mate. I do. Yeah, there was, I've, I didn't have my father in my life or any, I didn't have a real upbringing. So I've read a, a lot of biographies. I've read autobiographies, biographies of, of, of hundreds, thousands of important men from Vince Lombardi to Jack Dempsey to John, to Jimmy Connors, the tennis player, just to understand what a man was, to learn, you know, how they think and what, what characteristics a man possesses. And one thing I noticed from all the great people from Vince Lombardi on through, they're all self-admittedly bad parents. They weren't as good a parent to their child as they could have been. And right. to me, the most important thing in your life and your legacy is left by the child that you bring into this planet. And I never wanted to, I never, I didn't want to write my biography and say I could have been a better father. I wanted to, to say, you know what, when I became a father, I sacrificed, I have my career, I Chase that. I train with fighting, uh, MMA, weights three hours every day. And then I've got to work, I've got auditions. I don't hang out with my friends anymore, you know. Um, at the end of the day, what's more important, my friends or my daughter? There's nothing more important than my daughter and anyone else that doesn't realise that it's a failure as a parent and as a human being because friends come and go, girlfriends come and go, wives come and go. Right. But your children, right. they never, they, they, they're always going to be your children. And, and I love hanging out with my daughter. It's, it's my daughter. I can't believe some men would rather go out and drink with their friends than hang out with their children. And I always look at my father who right. passed away recently, and I love him. But at the same time, he missed out having the greatest sidekick in the world. I'm the most loyal person you're ever going to meet. And if I had had my father in my life, he would have been enriched by me because he was my hero. Even without knowing my father, he was my hero, and he missed out on having a little kid that was just going to run beside him, admiring him, making him feel like a million dollars, and I was deprived of that as well. So people go, well, how do you be a good parent when you didn't have a good parenting? You know what? I know what I went without, and I knew the words, the, the encouragement, the love. I knew all the, the things that I wanted, and I just give them to my daughter. Right. That's incredible. Not a lot of people share that that idea. They, they think to themselves, I'm going to start my career, I'm going to go as far as I can, and then I'm going to start paying attention to my children. But by then, they're, they're like 13, 14 years old, and they've already gone through the pattern yeah. of, of not having you part of their lives. That, that's for, yeah, you know, and, and, go ahead. And that's another thing that parents just think, you know, like, especially you fathers out there in the condition, you're a single father, one day, you're going to be an old man. And your child's going to be a man or a woman. And you're going to have some major regrets because your friends aren't going to be there anymore. They're going to be married. They're going to be off doing their own life. And you're going to look right. back and you're going to go, all that time I could have spent with my child, I was going out getting drunk. I was going to the football, still like I was an 18-year-old. Hey, when you have a child, your life changes. And you need to accept it and man up. And if not, don't be a child. That's why I do a lot of... Uh, consulting and work and I want to send a big shout out to Karen M. Borg who's someone I do some consulting with. Single mothers have uh, are amazing with the fact that they're so strong because men can be pathetic. I'll, I'll say to ourselves how they'll abandon their family, they'll walk away, they go, oh, this is tough, I can't deal with this. Right. Like what about the woman? The woman bred the child, she gave birth to the child, gives up her life, gives up her figure for a certain amount of time and also her life, and then husbands are upset because they're not getting attention, they're not getting the love they used to get. 
hey, that's part of life. And if you can't be a grown-up enough to accept that, then as I said, one day you're going to look for your kid and you're going to meet your kid. Your kid may turn out to be famous and wealthy and you're going to wish you were part of their life then. But just, just the fact that you have a, have a responsibility as a parent to, to guide your child so that your child's not a screw-up and it's something that is an asset to society. And so many people, I don't think they see that reality of life that your children are a reflection upon you. If your child's a failure, right. your child's aggressive, your child's a criminal, there are certain psychological factors, but it's a huge contributing factor to the parents because your kids become what you allow them to become. So, you know, I've got no time for parents. If anyone's offended by what I say about reading to it, I couldn't care less. If you're not taking care of your child... And no, you're, ta- you're, talking from an, you're talking from an actor's point of view. Yeah, you're talking yeah, from an actor's point of view, which is, which is kind of rare, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, so I just, it's just to me, it's just people, um, people, people just, you know, they need to understand that if you do have children, it's just, that's, that's, that's a part of your life now. And it's a true story of that. When you do have children, your life's not your own. An example of that is, I'm a crazy guy. I've partied, I've done things that would kill most people. I've lived a lot of lives. But my mates are like, hey, Grunny, let's go swing with the sharks. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. That'll be scary. That'll be fun. And then all of a sudden I said, I can't do that. And my mates are like, well, I said, I'm a father. And it dawned on me, my life is not my own. And it, it, it dawned on me what that meant. It meant you can't do anything stupid anymore. You can't get stupid and thrown in jail. You can't get in a fight. You can't do anything stupid because you now have a responsibility to something else. And your life truly is not your own. And if you can't make that realization, then you're not a parent. Right. Right. You know, we have a we have a very large audience today, and, and you know, one of the things I want to tell our audience today is I've known Guy Grundy for co- quite a long time now, compared to Hollywood standards, and what you're hearing right now is exactly what I've always known—a sincere, sweet person. That sometimes when people look at him, they think of him as imposing, um, threatening, other things. But I've only known the sweet father, hard worker person who wants to pursue his career and is kind to people. And that's what I've always liked about you, Guy Grandy. So tell me, let's, let's talk about, because you know, we always skip over this part, you know, you and I talk a lot about different things, but I, I've never really talked to you about one first time and second time Mr. Australia. So I want to I talk about the first, first time you ever got Mr. Australia. How was that like and what got you there? Uh, once again, it was a thing of me never giving up. I, I um, competed in my, I did a few local shows like state and national show, uh, state shows, and and I won those. And then you know I was 21, which meant I was uh, still eligible to compete as a junior. And you know I always liked to bite off more than I could chew. I always wanted to play against the big boys and see where I stood. And you know I did did my first national show at 21, and um, I took second. And I, you know, I was shattered. I cried backstage because I am—I'm a bad loser. I do not like losing. And then the next year, I came back and w- went up a weight class, and I took second again as a 22-year-old right. against men. And like, I went back to the drawing board. I put on like uh, 15 pounds of muscle. And uh, at 25 years of age, then I came back and I won won the heavyweight Australia, everything with a perfect score. No one, no one even took a point off me. So. It, that was wow. pretty much a story of my life that I, nothing was ever just given to me. I was a kid that had malnutrition to become Australia's best bodybuilder. And right. 
then I went on to compete with another federation. I won their national championship so I could get two-time champion in two different, you know, just to solidify the fact of who I was. And then basically in 98, I flew to America and started to live here. And then with like $3,000 in my pocket, the last seven weeks, I flew back to Australia to, to win the Australia again and then to fly over to the world championships. So I literally had $50 in my pocket. No one knew who wow. I was. I was walking around Austria backstage and, you know, you're just wondering where do I stack up against these guys? Like, you know, you don't really know. You look at pitches, but, you know, I'm walking around backstage and I peaked, which means I, I was right on the money. I flew for 36 hours from uh, America to Austria. I couldn't speak the language, got off the plane and somehow looked the best I've ever looked. And I knew I looked good, but you're not too sure. But then I'm backstage and I remember people are staring at me and I'm like, okay, this is a good sign. And I'm starting to get a little swagger going. And then some guy from Germany or something walks up to you and goes, you, you, what weight class you in? I said, heavyweight. He goes, oh my God, thank God for this. So, I, you know, I felt pretty <laughs> good and I actually went on to take second place at the World Championships on the do, which was, which was unheard of. And, you know, that really put me on the map. And at the same time, it was, wow, I'm good at this. Because, you know, every, Lou is in, every, as good Lou as people Lou thought Rigno. I was. Beg your pardon? Lou is in Lou Ferrigno? No, I didn't. I didn't know Did it was about Lou from. I didn't say Lou. Ah, uh, okay. Please continue. So, uh, yeah, and, and then it was always just a thing of. I think the, what the difference between me and most people is, especially someone with a big ego, which I have. I'm scared of failure, but I'm more scared of not trying. And I've always said when I was going to fight someone bigger than me, or when I was at school, and my thing was, I'm not. I'm not afraid to find out. Let's find out. Right. I want to see where I stack up against you. And I would fight older kids in school. And if I got my butt kicked, hey, I learned that will hurt you because they just did it to me. And each time right. I did it, I was very nervous and very un- very scared. And when I- and then at the World Championships, I took second, but I still went back to my, my motel room and cried because I wasn't the best. I wanted to be the best. But at the same time, it solidified where I was. So I think what separates me from a lot of people is I've got enough heart in the sense where I'll let the chips fall where they may and I'll see where I stand. And thankfully, everything I've ever done and given my heart and soul to, you know, I've achieved a national standard on it. So, but it's just a thing of each time that I'm out, it's a new time to prove yourself. Every time, every time you teach a class or you train someone, you know, it's a time to prove yourself and you want to do better than you did before because if you're not improving, what are you doing? You're wasting time. And that's why when I retired from bodybuilding, I retired at 30. Most people are reaching their peak in their mid-30s, and I retired five years before that. And the reasons were I never wanted to do just one thing with my life. I never wanted to sit back and you read my biography and go, he was a world champion bodybuilder. No, I played right. professional rugby. I lived on the street. I did the acting. I did all these other things. And, and also by retiring at that age, it created a, a bit of an enigma around it where people were, how good could he have been? He took second at the world. He was a national champion with limited money and resources and so you know I, I walked away and I also walked away on my terms I didn't walk away when the sport told me to I did what I wanted to do and then I left well I can give you a good reason why you left bodybuilding because you're going to be the next big superstar in Hollywood so you got to get something up don't you yeah well everything I've done Steve from the bodybuilding training to develop my physique to all the the MMA training and all the fight work that I've done to be an action hero so everything's everything's groomed me to be where I was 
you know, when I was fighting on the streets for money, just trying to support myself and live, I wasn't thinking that I'm doing this to be a movie star, but in reflection, it did two things, three things. One, it made me very tough because you just have to be tough and thick-skinned. And two, it just taught me that if you want something, you need to fight for it. And the fact that I didn't have parents to come to my football games and support me and then, you know, get in the coach's ear. I never had anyone pushing for me. It was always my own sweat and tears that did it. But also at the end of the day, Steve, there's a big satisfaction in saying I did it myself. No one helped me. I did have people like, uh, you know, Sean Piccinino help me get under roles and everything. But what, what I mean is that no one said, here's Guy Grundy, we've discovered him. And right. when at the end of the day, I'm going to be proud of that because of the fact that I made it happen and everything in my life that I have succeeded at. Believe me, I've wanted to be the person that's got to be discovered and found and be like Errol Flynn and they go, you know what, we see potentially you, here's a big contract. I do want to be that person, but at the end of the day, when I look back, I don't want to be that person. I want to have been the person who goes, dude, no one gave this to me. I earned it. I traveled from another country. I wanted to be an actor. And, you know, people, it, it, it makes me laugh that people say, you know, you work so hard and you're so confident the auditions. One, I've had a million auditions, so I'm confident. But as I said before, I traveled right. halfway around to get the world to get here. You know, I, I came here with no education. $3,000 in my pocket, nothing. And then you've got people right. that live in New York or live in Carolina or somewhere, and they're too scared to even leave their own state right. to come here to pursue a goal. I, you know, I left my family, I left my security, so I'm a mongrel dog who won't give up, and I guarantee you put me in a cage or anything to succeed against another person, they, they, their talent may, may match mine because that's possible. But I can guarantee you they won't have my hunger. I know that. I know that. Right. I know that I will go through more than anyone else to get what I've got because I've had nothing. I've lived on the street. I've fought for people when Kentucky Fried Chicken would throw out their old chicken that they dropped on the floor. I would be fighting right. grown men at 16 years of old for that chicken. Do you best believe when I can actually... For me, just to go into a restaurant and buy a meal... It's the greatest feeling in the world to me for my appreciation factor to everything I've done. You know, I'm 44. I still am pushing to be the person I want to be in acting. And I know that when I get there, I'm really going to appreciate it and not let it go to my head. I'm not going to go crazy on drugs. I've already done that. All the mistakes I could have made, thankfully, I've made them before I've been here. It's, you know, and I think life is its a process of grooming. And, you know, that grooming process can kill you. The drugs will kill you, the fame, the partying. And my motto is, is, I stop myself, is what I'm doing right now better sitting and making me the person I want to be? Who do I want to be? A great father and a super successful actor and a super successful businessman. And if what I'm doing now isn't benefiting that, I hang out with my friends and we watch movies and we break it down. Yeah. I don't hang out with any of my fighting mates anymore. I hang out with more intellectual people that will discuss movies and I understand the chemistry of making a movie. So... I've, my friends go, hey, do you want to do this? I go, no, I'll watch a movie with you. They go, bro, I don't. I want to go to the batting cage. I said, well, I don't want to go to the batting cage because I'm not trying to be Babe Ruth. <laughs> you right. know, I don't have to right. get someone in the head. With the, I, I just prioritize my time. And I also right. sleep a lot less than most people. It seems to me that people want to succeed. They want to do this and that. But guess what? They want to sleep more than they want to do anything else. How many people go, oh, I was going to get out of bed to train, but I was just so tired. Right, Mate, every time I get out of bed, I'm doing this, and to go back to what we're talking about is everyone talks about the success and the glamour. 
If you look right. at my resume, I've been on Shutter Island, Debbie, for a mate. Last night, I worked 12 hours straight as a uh, bodyguard security host at, a, at an L.A. party, which I do every Saturday and sometimes Friday nights. Did my stuff, and I'm, I'm doing this interview with you on no sleep yet. I haven't slept. Right. Why am I right. doing that? Because I want to be an actor. I don't want to be a security doorman all my life. I've got seven different hustles that I call them, seven different streams of income that I do to support me so I can chase my dreams in acting because acting doesn't pay the bills for me. My, my right. training people, my brand ambassadorships, but whatever I've got to do to allow me to be a father and to train people and to, to, to be an actor, I'll do. There's no question in mind. It's, hey, Grundy, will you do an extra 12-hour shift? You bet I will. I don't need the sleep, but I do need that money and I can get the sleep when I'm dead or when I'm successful. So a lot of people talk about wanting success. You know, I'm doing this interview on 12 hours sleep because I want to promote a series that I'm doing. You know, I right. could be sleeping, but is that benefiting me? Is that getting the word out about right. a new series I'm doing? It's not. So, right. you know, life's about sacrifice and there's just so many I mean, things. You have... you know, been... Go ahead, mate. You have so many so many things on your plate. I mean, you, we got, you're talking about ulterior uh, motives for, for cash flow and what have you. So you got profite going for you. What what other things are, are are in the profite category that you're working in right now that is that is allowing you to be the actor that that you are right now? Okay. Well, as I said, is I do. Any... Um, as I said, I do the uh, security hosting, bodyguarding, which I love doing. I do a lot of things because I don't want to do one thing, and there's two reasons for that. One thing is you need a lot more than one stream of income. Because if you've got one or two sources of income and that drives up, and it will, it's just evolution in life, things fall off. I've got other things that I can rely on. And by doing a lot of different things, I enjoy everything I did. If I did a security hosting every single night, I would hate it. it would, I would detest it. I wouldn't be good at what I do because it's boring. But I do it once or twice a week. I get paid really well, and I love the job that I have. Then I also train some right. people. You know, I, I box with them. I do weight training with them. I also do phone consulting with people. I'm a brand ambassador for ProFite Supplements. I sell ProFite Supplements. So, you know, I'm doing whatever I can do to, to be an actor. And then, thankfully, I've got some two national commercials running, so I'm getting some nice checks in the mail. And nice. But I won't stop doing what else I do because I know at some point I may need those things. And I like to be busy. I don't like to be doing nothing. If I'm not doing something, I get depressed. You know, every day I need to be moving towards my goal. and if I'm doing nothing, the only time I consider doing nothing right is when I'm recovering from an injury or when I need the rest. And I very rarely need the rest. And Donald Trump said it best. I've read a lot of his books that he gets a buy on four hours sleep. And I'll do that as well because I woke right. up motivated to do what I want to do. Some days, like when I, to do this interview before I spoke to you, I was like dozing off. But then I just right. said to myself, suck it up. This is what you're going to do. And I always remember watching a John Bon Jovi interview and he was wearing sunglasses in the studio and basically he did a concert and he'd been out partying. He just said to the guys, yeah, man, I feel like death right now. I look like death, but I said I was going to be here and I'm going to be here. And that just dawned on me for some reason then for some, that everything is hard work at some point. When right. you're promoting a movie, and I love doing it, but promoting The Lackey or some other movies that I'm involved in and I do interviews, you're doing 20 interviews talking about the same thing all the time, and it does get a little boring. But you, as a professional, right. need to understand that you're promoting a product, and if it's getting boring, it's your own fault. You need to make it more interesting. And 
Then the other thing is acting. Everything is all or nothing. One minute you're working, you're so busy, you've got interviews, and the next thing you've got nothing. And it's just a, a very emotional, unstable world because, one, it's all about rejection. You go in for auditions and you're going to uh, get knocked back on a thousand times more than you're going to book. And it's just... Everyone goes, oh, don't take it personally. Of course it's personal. You were rejected. You weren't right what they wanted. They rejected you. People go, don't take it the wrong right. way. What do you mean don't take it the wrong way? I've, I, they what way should I take it? Yeah, and it, you just develop a thick skin. I went for two auditions recently as like a spy type guy, which is normal. I, think. I didn't even get a call back for it. And normally I get really wow. excited because I got the audition and people say, man, that was a great audition. And then I get depressed because I wouldn't get a call. So my emotions are up and down. So now I, because I do this coaching with people, some life coaching where I talk about it, you know, I talk to myself, okay, Grundy, let's back up for a sec. You just went to two auditions that you thought you were going to nail. Of course you're going to be depressed you didn't get them, but let's not be a baby about it and moan and groan about it because that's what losers do. You know what? It sucks right. that I didn't get it. I am disappointed about it but I'm not going to let it affect me. It, it may pop in my mind every now and then. And mind you, this is after me probably doing three or 400 auditions I've got to this point over like eight years of acting. So it's not something I've developed straight away. But for me, just to survive as an actor, I go in with the intention of booking everything, but my expectation is that I won't. And it's the same when I meet people. I expect people to disappoint me. I expect business deals to go wrong. My intention is for everything to be perfect in this world, but my reality and what I see is nine times, nine things out of ten do not work out. Nine times people out of ten don't do what they say they're going to do. And you keep believing they will, you get depressed. And I'm like, you say I'm positive, but I find it a positive outlet because I look and expect failure and disappointment from people, but then when I don't get it, I really appreciate that person and I really appreciate the opportunity, but it helps save my soul if that makes any sense, where I'm not just having my heart ripped out of me every single time. Then you, then, it, then you get a call back, and then you get more excited, and then you get a put on bail, then you get nothing, and now, I am, now I'm depressed and I want to jump off the bridge. Right. <laughs> so so your, your attitude is incredibly positive for the amount of work that you do, the amount of hours that you put in. If I'm a scrawny kid from Australia and, and and I've got some things going wrong in my life, I've been emancipated, I've got all these things, I want to be you. I want to come out to America. I want to come out to L.A. I want a positive attitude. Can you give me any advice on, on how I can overcome some obstacles that might have been in your view when you were young? Yeah, mate. It's, it's you, get the, you can't do it when things are going wrong and you're in a fight and you're getting punched and beaten on. It, you can't really look and see the big picture and realize there's a reason for all this. But if you get the time to sit there and look at all the things in your life, the things that have gone wrong generally lead to great opportunity. Not getting a certain job enabled me to get another job. Not meeting someone enabled me to meet this someone. And just realize from my experience that yeah, I have succeeded and I have done really well and I have come from, you know, meager beginnings. So that should just right there give anyone some motivation to do it. But the thing is just, guys, no matter who you are in life, no matter where you are in life, rich, poor, there are stresses in life. There are always going to be stresses. And when you become wealthy and famous, it's just a new lot of stresses. And you just need to understand and accept that because if you want think life is just going to be personal to you every single day without any problems, you're not that's not going to happen and if it does happen be very fearful of it because if 
you don't have turmoil and stress in your life. It means you're not pushing your boundaries. It means you're not growing. Every time you do something new, it's scary. Like when people do public speaking, they say it's one of the most terrifying things in the world. You give me a microphone, I will do a speech in front of a thousand people at the drop of a hat, even on a subject I don't know, because I'm comfortable there. I feel, you know, I want to entertain people. But at the same time, I was scared before I did it. And how did I become confident? I did a lot of public speaking. I went to Toastmasters. I learned how to do a good speech. I learned pausing. I learned timing. So, you know, I wanted to be this actor. And, you know, I've trained with an action hero Arnold type thing. I've trained with weights. The, I'm 44. I've trained weights for 30, 35 years. I've studied acting. Wow. I've, I'm prepared. I've done all these different things to get to this point. And if you want to be something, have that clear goal. The most important thing, kids, guys, is have a clear goal of what you want. Everything else will fall into place. I knew I wanted to be a U.S. citizen and come here. I just came here, and I found out I could be a citizen because I was a world-class athlete. But I came here just knowing that I wanted to be here, and then I made the rest happen. A lot of people, and for instance, Sean and me are great mates, but we're very different, where he will want things to be perfect, similar to yourself with the, the movie writing, the script writing, everything perfect and laid out before us. I'm okay with just having a general idea of what we need to do during that scene because I feel right. that once I get my feet in the water, I'm going to work it out. Ideally, I right. want to have a game plan, and that's why I love working with Sean on Six Feet Down Under because he's the one person through just his achievements and the person he is, I, I have no qualms. He says, hey, Grundy, I want to do this. I don't even listen to what he says because... I know it's the right thing because I know he knows more than me and I'm learning from him. So another thing is you need to have mentors. You need to have people that you can trust. And the other thing is you need to understand that people are going to let you down. Friends are going to turn their back on you. There's no, it's very rare. Like I feel I have it with Sean, a loyalty sucker, and he's one of the people that I find very rare. Not many people are loyal out there. And what I mean by that is they will be loyal to you when they can benefit from you. But I guarantee you, as soon right. as they can benefit from someone else more than you're helping them, you're in the past and any past things you've done won't matter because now they're looking to the future. And that's human life. And I learned that the hard way when my mum just would get rid of me because it wasn't convenient to have me around and throw me to my grandparents. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm unworthy. And her little simple actions were going back to parenthood. Her simple actions of just throwing to me to order my family, never picking me up from school, leaving me in the hospital for Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and not visiting me. All those simple little actions of maybe her going out and getting drunk and having a good time crushed my soul that I was so unworthy that my mum wouldn't even come and visit me, my mum wouldn't even pick me up. It crushed me every single time and I grew, I grew to hate her because of that. I haven't talked to my mum in nearly 20 years and I won't talk to her again because, wow. once again, now I guarantee you my mum wants me in her life but it'll never happen because... I'll never forgive the scars that she had. I still deal with all those insecurities today and I've got to stop myself from getting panicked and everything. And, you know, if my childhood wasn't like that, I wouldn't deal with that. So I'm also, like you said, Steve, I'm a very nice guy, but I'm also very, if I cut you off, we're done. I have no problem there because if you hurt me, and I love you, that love turns to hate very quickly. And I've, got no, I've walked away from so many people in my life because they weren't yeah. benefiting. And when I started acting and I said, bro, let's do this together, this business deal, and my friends wouldn't do it. They go, man, cut me some slack. You know, we're friends. I said, bro, we're friends and doing business together. 
I'm doing everything I can not to disappoint you and above and beyond. I expect the same for you. You're not doing the same thing. The business has gone. He goes, well, let's just be friends. I said, no, you let me down in business. You cost me money, so you cost me a friendship. And some people will say that's tough. I say, I don't care. I live my life my way. And the other thing I think that sets me apart from a lot of people and it's made me grown as a person, I honestly do not care what people think of me to a certain extent. Steve, I want everyone to like me. That's my intention. But people will resent you for your successes for no reason at all, just because of the fact that your success shines a light on their inadequacies or whatever. And my thing is to people, listen, that's your problem. Don't make it mine. If you're resentful because of my success, leave. Don't, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for my success. I don't make you apologize for you. So I think just in life, being able to put things down and move ahead and not look back is the strength that I've had. I've, you know, I lost my, my, my best friend recently. He betrayed me in my eyes and, We'll never talk again. That was someone who was my best friend for 10 years that I'd give my last dollar to. I'd do whatever I can to. But now after a simple act of his betrayal, we'll never talk again. And you know what? I'm okay with that. We had a great 10-year friendship, but now it's gone. And I'm not someone to settle for less. Like if you're with a girlfriend and she cheats on you, you can never be with her again in my eyes because it will never be the same. It's never going to be. I want more. I don't want to have a, a tarnished friendship. I want to have a great friendship. And if right. you can't be there for me unquestioning, as a friend, you just need to say to me, Grundy, I need you there. I won't even ask why, mate. I will just be there. And even if you're wrong, you're right in my eyes because you're my friend and I'm going to be there for you. And I realize not many people are loyal to that extent. And right. I got really upset about that. But I said, but this enables me to see how loyal I am in comparison to other people that aren't. So, you know, look at life, everything happens for a reason and a successful person, a champion, looks for a way to make that problem positive and that's what I do. Every time something happens, I say, listen, this sucks, I really wanted that job, let's focus on something else because you know what, I hate whinges, I hate whiners and I sure as hell am not going to be one of them. Yeah, well, I've never known you to be that way. Uh, let's, let's, go into, uh, let's go into our next project, which is Six Feet Down Under. I cannot wait to see this. Uh, tell me about the project. Who's involved? Who's 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 part of the project? I, I know you're the the main star, and we're going to start a Kickstarter program for this very soon as well. So tell us what, what you can about this project, please. Um, I basically, um, I just felt that the, uh, you know I wanted to do something to, to 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 showcase my talents, to get attention, and the web series was something that people have been talking about for a while, and. It's really just built, built momentum. It was, you know, it's pretty much now it's a vehicle for myself and Sean Piccinino. He's co-starring and this is the bad guy, which is a role reverse for him and my, which is a, which is a good thing. And I'm doing right. something with someone who's as hungry as I am and we both are putting in a lot of work for nothing. But, you know, we're, we're investing our own money and time into this so we get things going. And, you know, it's going to be a great series that we've got Sean with his career going and mine, but also... It made me realize how fortunate I am in the acting that we, we started this on no budget at all and we've got so many talented people. We've got Anthony Apello coming on, who's a four-time MMA world champion, who's also a weapons specialist. He's brought all, you know, AK-47s, all kind of rifles, sniper rifles. We've got people giving us locations, giving us, you know, cars. And it's just, it's really exciting that so many people have got behind it and want to get involved. And it's an action comedy series that um, 
it, it, I'm very excited about it. And, and what I think is great about web series TV is that, as you know, Steve, you know, you're an award-winning scriptwriter. A script is a tedious, long process you've got to plan to the end. And as yes. we said before, I don't like to wait to the end. I want a beginning and I want to jump in and I want to start fighting. And as I'm fighting the other opponent, I will start to learn what he does and what he doesn't do. And I'll learn in the thicker things. What the web series does, you can block out just the first episode, the first seven minutes of your series, and that's all you focus on. That's all you have to do. I don't have to have the whole movie. I create the one scene, and then we shoot it. We edit it, and then you've got the first segment up there. And then we look at it, and we go, okay, this is the second episode. And so you're actually able to see what I love about this. You're able to see the arc of your character. You're able to look at the development of your character scene by scene because so many times you do a movie, you shoot the end of the movie before the beginning. So, you know, it's very hard and you watch a movie you go, oh, I wish I had have done that with my character. That's not right. But with these web series, it's instantaneous gratification. I get to shoot straight away and I've almost straight away got a product out there. And I love the idea because people, the internet to me is, is, the, is the way of the future. I'm on the internet all the time watching things at my convenience. Yeah. And people will watch seven to eight minutes on the internet because they have time. And if they can watch a series and then go, wow, that was cool, I can't wait for next week, then you can build some buzz, then you can start to draw sponsors, then you can do the kickstarting program. So I'm really excited about, if you said to me I could be doing a feature film or the web series right now, the web series is what I want because I really believe that's an avenue that I can control to a degree. Like, you know, I'm working now with a, another celebrity, Sean Piccinino, who's a bigger name than me in the industry, and he's come on board. But now I've got to work with Sean's ego. We've got to make sure he look good. And that's what I like about it, that all these people want to get involved. And it goes back to the lackey, which is, you know, which brought us all together. Everyone did that movie for free. And people like myself believe in it so much, invested their own money. Everyone wants to be involved right. in it. So there's a great energy. There's a great purity about it. And that will change in the future when money comes involved. As soon as money gets into it, then you've got people going to have ego problems because why is he getting paid more than me? So I'm enjoying the innocence. I'm enjoying everyone wanted to be involved. And, and just, I really believe it's a, it's a great avenue to get self-gratification because, and the other thing is I'm taking control of my destiny, my future. I've been waiting to be discovered, been waiting to do this. It hasn't happened to the degree that I want. So you know what I'm going to do? I, I had my little sook. I put my head under the covers and I had, had my little pity me and said, why me, why me? And then I'm like, you know what? Let's do a web series. Let's, I can show all my skills. And once again, I'm taking all the responsibility on my shoulders. And if I fail, I fail. And I think, honestly, Steve, a lot of people do not give 100%. And, I, and a coach said this to me once, and it didn't dawn on me until years later. Most people will not give 100% to what they do because if they fail, they'll have that in their mind. You know, I didn't do everything. I could have done more, so maybe I could have made it. And that's like their insurance blanket. That sickens me. I want to, I, if I fail, that's okay. But I want to know that I gave it my all. And I've found that whenever I give anything my all, I always succeed. So I think that's another thing where people will hold back because, well, you know, I didn't run every day. I've had guys that got ready for a fight and they lost and his conditioning was bad. Yeah, I didn't run every day. I should have run every day. And I said, you're an idiot. Who wouldn't, why wouldn't you run? You know, you had all these people banking on you and you didn't run. You didn't get in condition. You deserve to fail. But that person feels justified because, 
well, I didn't do it all my best, so maybe I could have won. And that's where I think 90% of people fail, where they will give less than 100% because they've got that insurance blanket to say, well, it wasn't a perfect right. preparation. And guess what, guys? There's no such thing as a perfect preparation. There's never a perfect lead-up to a movie. There's never a perfect lead-up to a fight. There's always obstacles. There's always injuries. And you need to deal with them. And the weak person will sit there and go, woe is me, this is the problem. And where I'm good at doing uh, ghetto things or guerrilla with this uh, web series, the lighting doesn't work. Okay, we can't fix it. Stop, Stop bitching about the lighting. What can we do to remedy the problem? What are our other options? And I look for my options. I don't sit in the milk spill. Let's look at what we can do. And then at the end of it, I'll say, hey, next time, make sure you bring an extra light because that broke and that screwed us up. I'll learn from the experience. I won't sit there and go, oh, we didn't have the proper lighting. It didn't work. Okay, well, you know what? <laughs> Maybe we have to cancel today's shoot and redo it another day. It sucks, but it's right. part of life. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. If you do 10 things, nine of those things won't work out. So that, that's that's been my experience. It seems like you're playing the odds there. Well, six feet down under, how many episodes are we going to do on this on on YouTube channel? Mate, that's a good question. Uh, from what uh, Pete tells me, you're getting heavily involved on the script writing, so you, you could probably answer that question oh. better than me, mate. <laughs> right, so we're probably going to do 12 to 15 episodes. And, and what's really exciting about this project is right after that, we're basically going to have a two-hour film, and then we can sell that two-hour film as a two-hour film, and then we can move on to the next next uh, season as being a season prepped for a full film as well. It's really a beautiful project and very well written and very well started as well. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a thing that it's grown. Uh, you know, I think where I'm good, and you seem to appreciate this in me. I don't. I, you know, I'm not going to say I don't have an ego, but. If, if yeah. I'm the kind of person, you if you don't have an ego and you're cool and you're not trying to be, you're just trying to be real with me and just be a cool guy, I'm going to be cool. But right. if you're trying to be fake, if you're trying to be alpha with me or anything, that just shows me you're insecure <laughs> no. and you don't know who you are. And I haven't got time for that. Right. I haven't got time for children. If someone's acting like right. when people act tough, it means they're still trying to prove they're tough. So long story short, I had a clear direction where I ripped some ideas out and then you know, I've read some books on screenwriting and I've done a lot, but for me to consider I know anywhere near as much as Sean or yourself is foolhardy. And then I've right. read enough, like um, Save the Cat books. I've read all those under screen script. Which is a great book, by the way, if anyone wants to read books on screen, uh, screenplays. And I understand, you know, all the different elements that go into writing the script, but when you sit down to write it, it is so daunting. And then I talked to Sean and right. the storylines changed dramatically. If, if Sean got involved and he was like, you know what, this is your show. I don't know how much I get involved. I said, bro, I want you involved as much as you can because if I'm surrounded by good talent, it's only going to make me look good. And Sean's played so many good roles and I've played so many bad guy roles. So we've got a, a switch where I'm the good guy, he's the bad guy. And it's, you know, the, the, as I said, when you ask me what's going on, I ask you, well, I don't know, bro, how many, how many scenes are we shooting? What <laughs> scenes are we shooting? And then Sean will tell me and then I will do my right. part of, how many people do you need? And then I will go and get attached, uh, contact my people. I'll contact the locations. And like I said, we're doing this on no money. Not one person's getting paid to do any of this. And we've got some other big names that Sean's been recruiting, but I'm not sure I can mention them. But honestly, it's just been a vision that I started and so many people have wanted to get on board. And it's just, 
it's just you know I think I'm very excited about it because it's it's a it's a great storyline. It's about a you know it's set on it's action comedy set on uh, professional killers. And the cool thing about it, it has a lot of comedy aspects that I live this life. So therefore, I have friends that have also lived this life who are also involved in the movie, and I'm not going to mention who, but they bring a realism of mafia life to it, what's involved, if you're not part of the family, blood-related, who you are and where you can go, and you know the different way they talk and the weapons they use for certain jobs. All that's covered in the movie. It's like and everything that we do weapons-wise, is going to be making the military and all the special forces happy, which is a which is a segment of the Mark One, because everything we do is real. The weapons handling we're using, right. the weapons we're using, it's all how special forces done it. Because I've been trained by special forces in the U.S. military, so it just encompasses action, but it's got some comedy. But it's also going to give people a real education of what it's like to be in the mafia life. You know how you can get in, how you awesome. can get out if you're not blood related, where you are in the scheme of things, and People who do understand it are going to watch the show and go, yeah, that's real. That's that's what happens. And then people that don't know it think- are going to be entertained, but they're also going to be educated. Oh, okay, like a bit of a Goodfellas type feel where you never really understood how things work, the hierarchy, someone gives an order, how it goes through the platform of chain of command, like a military operation and the job is done and how it's reported. And I'm looking forward to bringing the realism of what's there, but also with a comedy sense because I don't want to get too dark and... You know, action comedy, I think, is the way to go. If you can laugh and be entertained at the same time, you know, rather than just be entertained, I think that's a great night at the cinema. Well, I think this film is a a great tribute to the kind of act that you are, that all these people, and the kind of person you are, that all these people are coming out to defend and be on your side and and add and contribute whatever talents and skills they have. You have the Black Magic 4Ks at your disposal. You have writers at your disposal. You have actors and directors at your disposal. Everybody's coming to your aid at this film. We're about to close out the show. We have five minutes left. Grenda, we want to know everything about you. We want to find you on, on IMDb. We want to find you on, on Facebook. We want to find you on everything we can. Please plug away and tell us everything we need to know to find the great Guy Grundy. Well, if you just Google my name, Guy Grundy, you'll get a lot of things from my fighting career, bodybuilding career, and acting career that come up. Believe me, there's a million pictures up on there. Me, I, I love, love social media. I'm, I'm big on Facebook, so if you're on there, my page is open, so you don't need to be a friend or something. I'm at my limit, but you can get on my page, and, and it has act, um, updates on, you know, things that I'm doing with my daughter. I shoot little videos like last night, we were playing army soldiers. So th- this is my life. Mm-hmm. One minute I'm training with weights and boxing with other men, then I'm playing with my daughter, and we play army soldiers. We bought some army soldiers, and we're setting up a little army field, and then I'm working at an LA event with all celebrities and everything for a 12-hour period. Then I come home, I eat, and then I'm doing an interview with you. Then after this, I'll have a nap, and then I'm going to get up and train. So, nice. you know, my life's very busy. And sorry, also to get to me, it would be my website, which is a primary function, which would be uh, simply guygrundy.com to keep up to date on everything's going. But please, yeah, as you said, the main thing for this was to just let people know that my life may look glamorous and I portray it in the glamorous light, but at the same time, I've had a lot of struggles, guys. I've had a lot of times I didn't want to get out of bed. I also suffer from depression, which I'm happy to talk about in another episode, and that plagues me all my life where I've got to do things when I'm not, not wanting to do them. And, you know, the thing is nothing's easy, and the harder you work to, to do something, the more scar tissue you'll build up for future things. 
but the more rewarding the goal is at the end. Guy Grundy, you're an inspiration, and thank you for being on the show today. I, I love talking to you. The film that he, the film that he's working on right now is Six Feet Down Under. A great a great show going to be started on YouTube very soon. We're going to start a Kickstarter program very soon. Uh, we're going to have Shell Paul Piccinino on pretty soon, as well as I'd love Guy Grundy to come back and also speak about the, the Kickstarter program for Six Feet Down Under. But we're so looking forward to that project. We loved hearing your story and everything about your life coming from Australia to America. Uh, Guy Grundy, the great Guy Grundy, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Steve, and everyone else there. Chase your dreams. They may not come to you straight away, but you keep chasing, you will get them. God bless you, sir. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks, buddy. Bye, mate. That was a great, great Guy Grundy. Why is he great? Somebody asked him once, what makes a person great? If you know Guy Grundy, that's what makes a person great. He fights through adversity, keeps his head down, pushes through. What a great guy. I've known him for quite a long time. Met him on the Lackey set. Well, he was in our film together. Great guy. What a great episode. Was I I lying? We had the great Jeff Wolf on today. That's with an E in the end. Jeff Wolf. What a great guy. You'll recognize him from Revolution. And his new film, Penance, is out. So please, give your money to Penance. Let that money go to charity. Let it go to where it belongs. He's worked very hard on this film. He's a great guy. Gives him props. Boom, film is fantastic. And we have the great Guy Grundy. Guy Grundy's worked on many, many, many projects. Please look at his IMDb from Deadliest Warriors to Lackey to Six Feet Down Under to Grundy's L.A. He does have that one show. We didn't talk, we did not talk about that today, but uh, I want you to see it. It's called Grundy's LA, and right now we're on episode one. Thank you, everybody, for listening in today. God bless you. I know 10 a.m. on a, on a Sunday in LA or Colorado or New York is quite early. Thank you very much for listening in. If I can give you any advice that we that we heard today, that from what I'm taking away from the conversation we had today, which is follow your dreams, stay true to yourself, be a good person, and die old. <laughs> Jeff Wolf and Guy Grundy, thank you very much for being on the show today. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, for Cinema Files Radio. I can't wait to see you next week. Until then, go home, hug your family, love your family, and eat a donut. Or ice cream, wherever you are. And if anybody wants to know why I play this music at the end of the show, watch Frankie and Johnny with uh, Al Pacino. And you'll see that this song plays at the end of the movie. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. God bless you all. Thank you very much for listening to this. It's been a great episode for me. Have yourself a great weekend.